0: This is the Saturday to Sunday football podcast.
1: This is where it all counts. This is why we're here. This is why each one of us are here. And now, here's your host. Welcome back to another edition of the Saturday to Sunday football podcast. I am Paul Pertichese, and joining me again as always is Mr. Matt Caraccio. Matt, welcome back.
2: Paul, I cannot wait. I mean, every time we start this episode recently, it seems like I cannot wait. But it's true. I cannot wait to not only be learning and learning something new from our guests tonight but also just to talk football man just to talk football take a break and just enjoy the evening
1: absolutely and as matt alluded to we are privileged to be joined by special guests back to the saturday to sunday football podcast for the second consecutive year and that is mr graham barfield graham welcome back to the saturday to sunday football podcast
0: yeah thanks for having me guys it's uh it's really nice to talk ball like i haven't done a podcast in a couple weeks and uh, I'm sure all of us and anyone that's listening has just been inundated with uh, what's going on with our country. So definitely agree. It's really nice to talk ball just for an hour and kind of kind of zone out here. I'm looking forward to it
1: absolutely a welcome distraction. Again, I know I speak for all of us. Hopefully everybody is safe and healthy uh, doing the social distancing and just kind of finding some distractions here and there and hopefully listening to some football podcasts, doing some football stuff because the NFL draft, it sure sounds like this is happening. I know there's been a lot of talk about it, but it sounds like it's happening. So we're going to talk some running backs tonight with Graham. That's one of his specialties as everyone who follows him knows. So, Graham, I know when you were on last year, you know, we were pretty down on that class last year when we kind of talked about those guys. You know, this year it seems like the consensus in the majority is quite different. Do you agree with that, that this year's class is significantly better than last year's?
0: Oh, yeah. I think we nailed last year's class. I mean, I think there was pretty clear cut who the top guys were and just there weren't a lot of middle-tier value guys. And in this class, not only do we have like a really – great top five worth of talent where I think you could uh, rank any of the guys after Taylor in really any order and probably be, be right. Um, There's some really fun players uh, in like the six to 12 range that, that, uh, that have uh, all have different types of skills that translate really well to the NFL. And I'm, I'm really excited for a few of them.
1: Absolutely. So let's dig right in. You, you mentioned Jonathan Taylor right there. He seems to be gaining steam as the consensus number one running back. You know, some people might have DeAndre Swift or, you know, J.K. Dobbins. And, and you've been hearing lately some rumblings that Clyde edwards helaire could even push to be maybe the first running back taken. But it does seem like Jonathan Taylor sits atop. So maybe share some thoughts on Jonathan Taylor as you did your research. Sure. Jonathan Taylor is
0: clearly the RB one for me, and um, I will be shocked if he's not the rookie 101, like consensus 101 after the draft. I mean, just a stud prospect. I mean, all around. Uh, going back and just looking at his production, I mean, he rushed for over 125 yards in 26 of 42 career games at Wisconsin. It was just nutty production. Uh, he obviously blew up the combine back in February too, had the 10th fastest Weight adjusted forty time ever and was just a stud in the yards created process, um, basically right at or above average in terms of creating yards on inside and outside carries. Um, one of the things that I found really interesting uh, about Taylor is Wisconsin like uses like kind of an old school scheme. They have a uh, they use a lot of fullbacks. Uh, Taylor was actually uh, had a fullback on the field on about a third of his carries, but he was actually more efficient. Uh, without a fullback on the field. And he was more efficient out of shotgun, too, uh, in terms of his yards created per attempt out of shotgun this past year. Uh, Taylor is actually the number one back in the class at 5.8, excuse me, 5.48 yards created per attempt out of shotgun. Um, Just all around a stud. Uh, I I know he wasn't asked to do much in the passing game this past year, but when he did, he was very efficient. Um, He was number two in the class in yards gained per route run behind only Zach Moss. And, and Zach Moss is a, a receiving darling for a lot of people. I, I love Jonathan Taylor. I think he's very clearly the the one oh one And um, outside of a few landing spots, I really don't have a a hard – I guess what I'm saying is there's really like – it's just his path to success is very, very clear and very, very straightforward to me.
1: Yeah, I mean, it seems like if a team makes an investment in Jonathan Taylor, they're going to invest in, they're investing in that running game. And we know on a previous podcast, Matt and I talked about, you know, he's a culture changer a little bit. He's the type of guy that, you know, schematically, if you draft Jonathan Taylor, you know, you might be laying the foundation for what your offensive approach wants to be. So wherever he goes, I don't think he's going to go somewhere and not be a focal point, heavy role early on in an offense I think the two things you probably hear about him most is the receiving work in terms of how much and how much will he be asked to do that at the next level. And then you've heard some ball security issues, but ball security things to me, I've seen enough guys from college to the pros make the transition and it not be an impact. So I, I'm not holding him or knocking him too much for the ball security. If it becomes an issue at the NFL, then it becomes an issue, you know, and then we'll have to see if it it can be corrected. But I know that's something that people bring up with Jonathan Taylor. Uh, Who would you say is, you know, because I think the next four are pretty interchangeable in terms of stylistically they all could a tribute into the passing game as well as the receiving game. I I mean, the rushing game, obviously, there's different levels in terms of how much they impacted. But who's kind of the next guy that that you find most intriguing from that big five?
0: Yeah, definitely with you that the next four are interchangeable. But I I have DeAndre Swift at number two right now. And, of course, the draft could change this a little bit. But he just does everything really well. I don't think Swift is necessarily a standout prospect traits-wise in any one area. But it's just – he does everything extremely well. He's great inside and outside. Obviously, a great receiver. Uh, was weathered in pass protection at Georgia. Um, I will say he definitely benefited from a great offensive line. Um, I've been doing yards created now for five years, and Georgia's offensive line was the second best I've ever charted behind only uh, Durrell Henderson and Memphis' offensive line last year. But still, I mean, DeAndre Swift is an elite, sustaining running back who I think will easily be a featured running back in the NFL. Uh, 34 percent of his carries uh, created five or more yards. That is like right behind the top six guys I've charted all time, and this is like an elite list. Um, he's right behind Joe Mixon, Sony Michelle, Josh Jacobs, Saquon Barkley, Alvin Kamara, Kareem Hunt in that particular stat. And uh, one thing I found really interesting, just kind of going back and going through some game logs, is like Alvin Kamara. Uh, Obviously only played two seasons at Tennessee, but he and DeAndre Swift have a very similar receiving line on very similar usage. Uh, Swift caught 75 balls for 666 yards on 92 targets, while Kamara caught 76 for uh, nearly 700 on 94 targets. And again, you know, two, one fewer season for, for Swift, but I mean, all around again, just uh, every, he checks every box. um, And I'm really interested to see where he goes, because I think Swift might go ahead of Jonathan Taylor especially uh, with the Chiefs looking there at 32, they could make a luxury pick with Swift.
2: No, I mean, those are all excellent points. And going back to some of the things that you guys said earlier with Jonathan Taylor, fantastic prospect, but I'm right there with you with DeAndre Swift being the number two prospect. And in fact, I mean, I happen to have him one step higher just because I'm going with that versatility factor. I'm going a little bit more with that, you know, he probably could be, or we've seen evidence of maybe that versatility now in terms of solving a variety of problems across various landscapes that maybe we didn't see with Jonathan Taylor. But either way, we're talking about definitely two of the best backs in this class. And I'm curious, Graham, as you kind of unpack the next three when we're talking about you know the players that are probably swirling around everybody's mind my question to you is who really stands atop in that next like lineup or tier of players because I I I don't I think after you know Jonathan Taylor and DeAndre Swift I mean I do have one more guy close to my heart but but I would say that there you're still talking about though a variety of players here that really can do a little bit of everything. The question is, will they all potentially be three down backs? Gotcha. And I'm curious. I'm curious where your analysis kind of took you with respect to that discussion.
0: Man, uh, I love the next two guys. Uh, I value traits. among Basically, I value traits among, above everything else. And J.K. Dobbins has just elite traits in terms of athleticism, in terms of hit the way he can contort his body, his vision, his feet. Are fantastic. I mean, his feet are always uh, efficient and going to the right spot. Um, in fact, he's number one out of this top five, out of the top five guys in yards created per attempt at 5.04. Yards created per attempt. Taylor was at 4.82 and Swift was at 4.73. Ohio State obviously had a great offensive line, great scheme too. Um, they, I mean, J.K. Dobbins very rarely ran into a, a loaded box. But I could see – I see a path where Dobbins is actually, for fantasy, the best running back in this class just because, again, he his athleticism gives him an extremely high ceiling, and I think he's a, a better pass catcher than giving credit for. The only problem is that Dobbins is – really up and down in in pass protection for me. Like I I don't necessarily value pass protection that highly because, you know, if you're a good pass catcher, you're just going to be running routes on pass plays anyway. It doesn't really matter. But Dobbins really struggled in pass protection um, this past year. And, you know, there's this one game that sticks out to me against Wisconsin. I think he gave up like five or six pressures, which is just like unheard of for a running back. He, He really struggled in that game. Um, and had a couple other games this year where he really struggled. But other than that, I mean, Dobbins is such a high level prospect. And I, again, I think he could end up being the best back in this class.
1: Yeah. I mean, JK Dobbins, you know, I think for whatever reason, People kind of, you know, he was a little bit towards the back burner after his sophomore year. I feel like people weren't talking about him as much. And then people started having athletic questions about him. And I think, you know, when I, anytime I turned on football on Saturday and watched him, he was running away from people, like his bursts, his acceleration, his long speed, plenty good enough to be you know considered a good athlete his high school numbers if you go all the way back to then really strong as well unfortunately we need to get a chance to see him at the combine or a pro day just to kind of you know silence those people a little bit more and and check that box off you mentioned that there was one other guy that you said you know you really liked the next two who was that other guy because I do think it's up for debate I think it could be either Clyde Ivertillaire or Cam Akers
0: yeah. Real quick to on final point on Dobbins, like how can a guy that has run for over a thousand yards caught, you know, at least 20 balls in every year. And like uh, the, they, they do this like spark score estimate for high school athletes coming out and Dobbins tested it like the 99th percentile. Like how, how does this, ha- how does Dobbins keep falling uh, behind there? But I, I'm uh, my, my second favorite, I guess, uh, of these guys after Taylor and Swift is easily Cam Akers. Um, this guy struggled behind a very, very bad Florida State offensive line, and not even just bad offensive line. This this offense was just brutal. It was a- absolutely terrible to watch their quarterback play this past year. They really didn't do anything efficiently. Uh, and, and Akers' production suffered because of it. But Florida's, Florida State's offensive line this year uh, was the worst I've ever charted in the last five years, going back to the last five years' worth of data. Akers, uh, in terms of running inside, uh, Acres only saw, uh, on average, around basically – Less than half a yard uh, on his inside carries this past year. That was second worst all time. Only Penn State's offensive linebacker when Saquon Parkley was there was worst. And it just didn't matter. I mean, Akers is, again, high, highly elusive player um, with great athletic traits. Um, he's actually second in the class behind only Zach Moss in terms of missed tackles. forced per attempt was more elusive than Clyde Edwards-Alaire on a, uh, on a per attempt basis this past year. Just barely. And obviously Akers is a very strong pass catcher. Um, I think he's a better pass protector, um, not necessarily more willing than Dobbins, but I think he's a better pass protector coming out than Dobbins. And I think some teams will uh, might have Akers higher on their board um, than Dobbins just for that reason alone. But I mean, just for context of how bad the situation was for Akers this past year, Uh, he was contacted at or behind the line of scrimmage on 30% of his carries. That was by far the highest rate in the class. And and Jonathan Taylor and DeAndre Swift were both contacted behind the line of scrimmage on less than 10% of their carries. And again, that that comes a little bit down to Akers was trying to do too much at times behind a bad offensive line. There's some of that for sure. But man, uh, I I love Cam Akers. And really the top four of this class, I I guess maybe we'll we'll talk about Edward Zolaire here in a second, but the top four of this class, I'm very, very high on.
2: You know, it's interesting, and I was wondering if you can kind of bring some context to this as you examine film, as you go through it – delineating um the idea of creating space whether it be on the interior versus the exterior whether it be at the line of scrimmage versus the second level is there a weighting in particular that you tend to afford those different scenarios that that end up impacting their overall score if so can you give us can you give us a little bit of a behind the curtain if you could um you know I don't want to reveal all the secrets of you know the wizard here but just maybe a little bit of a behind the curtain's kind of feel for the different situational kind of places on the field and and where that may fit.
0: Right. Yeah, no secrets here, man. I'm an open book. Um the I don't have a waiting system per se.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um typically like I going back through my data like college football, it's a lot of inside zone. So like 65 to 70% of carries uh usually go in between the A and B gaps and in general, out running the ball outside. Is more efficient. Um, with that said, a lot of this comes down to situation, right? I mean, like third and one, you're more than likely going to run the ball inside. Um, so I, I try to holistically. I, I think I treat every team differently. Um, I treat every prospect differently, and just kind of give everybody a blank slate because there's certain teams that have very good guard play. Um, one team that comes to mind a couple of years ago was Notre Dame. Um, I think with CJ Process, they had like two or three guys that went pro and just had yeah. a mauling offensive line, whereas Florida State won't have a single guy drafted uh, off their offensive line. So really it's just try to try to use it as a case-by-case, team-by-team basis.
2: So I, I wonder when we look now at the next player that, I mean, I, I would probably argue this player might be, and again, I'm, I'm open, I'm open to contestation. So I would say this player's probably got to be one of the best route runners at the position. And to me, that's Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. And I'm curious, you know, when it comes to being that player, if that is even your next player, it may not be. Um, But I'm just curious if he's not your next player, who is, and if he is your next player, what do you think about Edwards-Hilaire? Because I, I, I tend to see, you know, from him a back that's, Rather versatile, both inside and outside runs. You know, I see a player who can obviously receive the football. Just curious where you found he sits, and then obviously who that next player might be.
0: Yeah, Edwards-Alaire is number five for me, and number six isn't particularly close. I, I could have Edwards as, uh, Edwards-Alaire as high as two if he goes to a team like Kansas City. Um, again, it comes down to traits, and, and Clyde Edwards-Alaire, look, fanta- this LSU everybody knows what the LSU offense was this past year. I mean, and Clyde Edwards, helaire definitely benefited from uh, a lot of green space in front of them and a great offensive line. There's no doubt about that. Um, but for me, he has an extremely high floor because you mentioned it. He is the best route runner in this class and it's not particularly close. I mean, linebackers have no chance against no. him. I mean, he is so good at setting up defenders and using his feet and wiggle to kind of just separate. I mean, the linebackers at the next level in the NFL will really
2: struggle against. Well, Graham, Graham, I don't mean to interrupt you, but I'm wondering like the last, the last person that I felt this strongly about was Christian McCaffrey as a route runner. And I, and I mean like in terms of creating that separation, the ability to manipulate within their stems to actually create leverage. He, I, I haven't seen a player quite like that at the position since McCaffrey and McCaffrey's versatility, obviously as a route runner made him exponentially better but not the same toolbox, but that separation ability certainly stood out to me.
0: I, I think I'm with you on that. I mean, McCaffrey coming out, um, I think if if you were to ask me who I had the most fun ever watching while doing yards created, it would be Christian McCaffrey. It's not even close because of his versatility. I mean, he was used as a receiver, as a slot receiver at Stanford. He could run inside. I, I don't... All that hate that he got for not being able to run inside. It's just people clearly were not paying attention. Uh, but Clyde Edwards Alaire, I'm with you as as like just strictly running routes out of the backfield, setting up second level defenders. For our game, like for our fantasy game and PPR, he has such a high floor. But I, I'm wondering I'm wondering if teams might view him as a committee back. And the reason why is he was a I won't say he was a subpar inside runner coming out. He definitely was not subpar, but he kind of in a sense reminds me of David Montgomery uh, mm-hmm. in, a, in the sense that he just doesn't have that first, you know, five to 10 yard burst. Like he can make anybody miss with his feet, with his power. He has fantastic contact balance. I don't want to take anything away from him as a runner in that sense, but his burst really does leave a lot to be desired, especially within like five to 10 yards. And, uh, those plays, you know, I get it, LSU faced a lot of really tough competition this year, uh, faced a lot of good defenses as far as college football goes, but those second-level defenders and those linebackers in the NFL are really, really fast, and I think that he might struggle as an interior runner uh, just from an efficiency standpoint only because he does not have the high-level traits that that a Dobbins or a Taylor or an Akers have.
1: Yeah, I love the fact, Graham, that you brought up, the safe factor of Clyde Ward's lab, because I do think, and man, I have talked about it. I think worst case scenario, worst case scenario, he's James White. Like, you know, and, and to me, like mm-hmm. if that's, we're talking his floor in terms of who we might be, you know, then it opens up the possibility that in PPR setting, that's good enough to be a, an RB two right there. Right. And then if he contributes in the running game, You know, I I think when a team looks at him, and I think the reason why he'll be five on a lot of people's boards is again, based on land land spots could dictate this, but I do see a a scenario where other guys might be looked at to be able to potentially carry a heavier workload. Where I think whoever takes Clyde Edwards Solaire he probably an NFL team is probably going to look at him and say, we want to keep him in that 14 to 16 touch range, where I think the other guys potentially could touch the ball, you know, 17 to 20 times. And it'll be interesting to see. I mean, the, the whispers you've heard is he might be the prototypical back that Tom Brady wants the Bucks to draft. And if he goes to the Buccaneers in the, you know, top of the second round. You're gonna see I think him move up pretty high in rookie drafts. And he's gonna be going over some of the other guys that I think we talked about, because I think people are already then going to associate Brady with him, you know, as having that floor of the the receptions, but then maybe he works his way into a pretty significant role and he might be afforded a lot of space similar to what you talked about at LSU if he's in that Buccaneers offense and teams that are focusing, you know, on, on Mike Evans and, and Chris Godwin, you know, OJ Howard, it could open up the field and and he could potentially Really have more running room and more lanes. So it's going to be really interesting. Clyde Edwards-Hilaire and where he ends up, I think is going to be so critical to his overall fantasy value.
0: I'm with you on that. I'm with you on that for sure. And I think, uh, like you said, the James White uh, comp, just because we know right out of the gates, Clyde, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire could come out and catch 50 balls like on any NFL offense right now. Like uh, for our purposes in Dynasty and in redraft leagues, that gives us a lot, of, a lot to work from.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So let's take this past the the big five because I do agree with you. I think there is a significant drop off after those five. I've I've got on record is I think those first five guys are all off the board by the second round. So I think by the time round three starts, if a team is hoping that one of these guys falls, I don't think there. It's hard to find five running back landing spots, but I think teams are going to see too much talent to pass up, and those first five guys are going to be gone. Then I think it's up for grabs. Do we see any in round three? Is there a little bit of a lull? And then it picks back up again round four. So there's a couple other guys we want to pick your brain on. I'll group, we'll group them in pairs of twos. Sure. Couple, couple burners that, that can take you to the distance and be home run threats. And that's Anthony McFarlane out of Maryland and Darrington Evans out of Appalachian State. Any thoughts on those two guys? Because I'm really intrigued by yeah. both of those guys. Anthony McFarlane was a guy who was in my top eight before the season started. And then he kind of was a little bit battled some injuries this year. His teammate, Javon Leak, actually had a better season than him this year. But you go back and watch some of his 2018 film. And it's just fire and explosion, and and I'm a fan of both him and Evans. So, uh,
0: McFarland is actually my number eight running back, um, or actually maybe even number seven. I haven't really put it all together yet, but Mc- I'm very high on Anthony McFarland. Um, he is just so explosive. If you give him an open lane, I mean, he is just gone. Um, if you give an open lane and. Uh, you're right. This past year was definitely a a little bit of a down year for him. He was dealing with an ankle injury pretty much for the entirety of the season. His yards per carry average went way down. Uh, his 2018 tape was electrifying though. And especially that game against Ohio state, uh, he had back to back runs where he just ripped off like massive 75 yarders. And granted he was running through green space quite a bit, uh, through that, but I like McFarland a lot. I think he was underutilized as a pass catcher, especially this past year. Like Maryland's offense this past year was really tough to watch, too. I mean, their quarterback play was really brutal. Um, and I think McFarland could have been be- uh, better used in the passing game. Darrington Evans, man, I-, I have no clue where he's going to go, but I loved his tape. I have not finished his yards credit profile yet, but uh, uh, so I don't have all the data together there, but I've loved what I've seen from him so far. I think he could go as high as round three. Um, I, I hope he goes round three and gets an actual opportunity, but he might slip um, into the fourth or fifth round and kind of get buried just because his level of competition obviously was not super high for what it's worth. I'm also biased here. Uh, I was born in Boone, North Carolina. Uh, that's where app state's at. I'm a mountaineer. Uh, so I've been watching Evans for, for quite some time. And maybe, maybe I'm, I'm definitely going to let my bias slip into my evaluation <laughs> of him for sure. But uh, no, nah, he's a baller and I'm really excited to see, and I really hope he goes decently high in the draft.
1: It's funny that you said that though, because every time Daniel Jeremiah talks about App State guys, <laughs> I, I get I, I I question the same thing. Like, are they higher on his list because he's yeah. given App he's given App State some you know some pub there, and then it's like you know because I remember before the combine. He had him in his like top eight or top ten and that was kind of uncharted territories before the combine. You know, I don't think he was getting as much national attention. So I was like, I don't know, is this just a Daniel Jeremiah thing? And then he blows up the combine, you know, I watch more film on him and I was like, you know what, this guy's really is got some talent there, uh, you know, to be an intriguing player. So I, I it was funny that you brought that up. Matt, any thoughts on these two guys or any follow up to Graham? Yeah, no, I mean, I think that, first of all, Evan, Evans and
2: um, McFarlane, specifically Evans, has been somebody that very much like, I would say, most people, um, a little late to the party in the sense of really appreciating the totality of his game and the movement skill on the field in terms of the variety of ways that he can handle the position. I mean, he reminds me a, a lot of... uh a, a player that had a little bit of a blip in terms of this this world, but kind of ended up making his uh, his hay in the XFL in Danell Pumphrey, um, in the sense that he was very, very, very electric all over the field, a lot of different ways he can win, and... I'm not equating necessarily the two together, but I got, I got those feelings, those vibes, those sensations of watching him like, wow, hidden gem. And I didn't even realize it. And so I completely agree with you. And McFarland's been a player that, like Paul, ever since I had a chance to watch him in Maryland in 2018 film unbelievable just unbelievable so to hear him that he's in everybody's you know top 10 is is really gratifying and that way makes me feel good about myself um but moving forward into the next kind of group of players I was wondering another two players that seem to be really across the the landscape some as high as top three um maybe all of these players that I'm mentioning in top five who knows um but what about BC's AJ Dillon and And Zach Moss, like, what do you think about those players? Because those players seem to be all over the radar. Some players, some people have those players, Zach Moss, maybe as low as, you know, out of the top five, maybe in, maybe even in the bottom half of the top 10 or out of the top 10. A.J. Dillon is seriously a player that I think has, has kind of regained that draft stock relative to his performance at the Combine, which I think is lunacy to begin with. But, you know, I mean, he was already a player that we we knew very well of what he was capable of doing. Um, but to, to see him kind of now back in the limelight, so to speak, what do you think about these two, Graham? These are, these are some polarizing players on various boards. How would you kind of peel out the different layers in them?
0: Sure. Zach Moss, to me, uh, I'll start with him, is a very straightforward evaluation. Um, I wouldn't say he's extremely creative running back in the sense that uh, he does not have, certainly does not have home run speed, doesn't have very good bursts, but he, for for a guy that's 5'10 and over 220 pounds, his ability to change directions is just mind-boggling. I, I think I mentioned it maybe with, uh, with Cam Akers earlier, but he was the number one running back in the class in terms of missed tackles force per attempt. And it's not really a surprise when a guy can start to stop with the way he does uh, the way he can. And my comp for Moss coming out is it, it might sound a little weird. And I, I get that this player probably did you know, he underwhelmed in the NFL, but I, I kind of see TJ Yeldon when I watch Zach Moss, he, he runs pretty upright, doesn't have a lot of burst, doesn't have a lot of long speed, but Yeldon coming out, he could make guys miss, uh, especially in, Short uh, short area, and I think Moss has better uh, agility than Yeldon does coming out, and and Moss is obviously a fantastic receiver too. Very accomplished, Uh, number one running back in the class in terms of yards gained per route run. Uh, Just looks super fluid um, as a pass catcher all over the field. Um, Switching to AJ Dillon I'm I'm, I think I'm maybe the lowest I've seen on him. Um, I for me, sure he can run really fast in a straight line. That that's about it. I got big questions about his ability uh, as a pass catcher coming out, and I know Derrick Henry has been the comp for AJ Dillon because he's 250 pounds. They're both over six feet tall, but to me, they're totally different players. I think um, Henry runs with a lot more violence um, and is a more physical player than than uh, than Dillon than is. Uh, there were a few plays where Dillon, I just wish he would like try to. Uh, I, I, he does not have a lot of wiggle. He does not have a lot of lateral agility. But there are times where it's just like I'm, I'm waiting for him just to run through somebody. And He can definitely move a pile. But to me, Dylan kind of profiles more as like a first and second down plotter. Um, and I, I think with the right team, Dylan could find some fantasy success. Like I was going back and forth with Josh Norris on this on Twitter yesterday. And I think Dylan would make a lot of sense on a team that really commits to North and South running like Baltimore, or even as a backup to, uh, to Derrick Henry in Tennessee. Um, I, Dylan to me just does not, I, I, value versatility in trades. And to me, Dylan is just not somebody, um, that is, that is going to be very high on my board.
2: And you know what, not to, not to interject here, but I, I can't really even see the Derrick Henry comparison. Yeah. They're just totally not the same mover. They're, they're not the same mover. When you actually watched the versatility and agility within Derrick Henry's game from college and you compare them, it's not the same. I mean, you're talking about, I think a player who uh, I agree with you. I'm thinking more, um, I'm thinking more like, uh, I'm thinking back to my Giants years of Jacobs and I'm thinking more like that. I'm thinking more that way about Dylan. That and, and listen, that's a role. That's a role, but I think Derrick Henry is that's, I think that's a little underrating what Derrick Henry is. If that's, I know that might be unfair.
0: No, I agree. I, I'm with you on Derrick Henry. And, and coming out, Henry um, was not only a significantly better prospect than AJ Dillon, but like the last couple of years, watching Henry on tape, just with the Titans, like he get he has he used to be kind of a momentum runner. AJ Dillon is a momentum runner. It takes him four or five strides to get up to his speed to where he has full power. Derrick Henry used to be that way past couple of years, he has really worked on his footwork and committing to his holes, and Derrick Henry is now no longer – I mean, he gets to his top gear very, very quickly. Uh, A.J. Dillon with the NFL, I get that he ran a, a nice 40-time for his size, sort of like Brandon Jacobs did. I mean, Brandon Jacobs is one of the best uh, combine prospects of all time. Dillon did have a nice combine, but for me, it's just – the, the, his range of outcomes is fairly uh, limited, I think, just because he's such a limited prospect, especially when it comes to the passing game.
1: Yeah, I mean, listen, as much as as in certain capacities I do like Dylan, I think everything that both of you guys said is spot on. He is going to be very much dependent upon the team and the landing spot that he goes. I think people understand have to understand who he is and what he is and what he does well and what he doesn't do well. And I think that's part of the reason why I think he's going to be there when when Dave read a draft opens. I think a team realizes that he's not that versatile player that you spend the top 100 pick on as a running back. So I do think he's going to be probably around four pick. Uh, I would be surprised if he, after his combine, if he slips to round five, but I think he's going to be around four pick. And It'll be interesting to see where he goes. His landing spot will probably dictate whether or not he has much fantasy value. You mentioned a place like Baltimore, I'd be intrigued with Baltimore. We've seen the productivity Gus Edwards has had in that scheme. If he was the natural replacement for Gus Edwards and let's, let's live in a world hypothetically that Mark Ingram has one more year left in Baltimore. Could there be a scenario where, you know, they draft AJ Dillon and him and Justice Hill form some kind of duo with Lamar Jackson? Sure. And that probably could open up the, the you know, the door. You know, there's a team like Seattle who always moves around the draft like crazy and picks up picks, you know, with the injuries to Carson and Richard Penny. Do they look to get another physical power North South kind of back? You know, so, you know, or Tennessee, as you said, does Tennessee, you know, look at Derrick Henry for another year and say, you know what, we're going to maybe take AJ Dillon. In, you know, in round four, and and then we'll see if we get a contract with Derrick Henry long term, or we have a guy who at least fills the role of that power gap scheme type runner north south. Even though he doesn't move the same way like you guys talked about, so I think it's gonna be really interesting to see where he goes, and his landing spot will really dictate whether he has. A decent amount of value, some value or no value in terms of the fantasy landscape. I think when when push comes to shove, so Graham, we've talked about nine guys tonight. Last question of the night, and you can go anywhere you want with it. Is there a couple other guys that you just kind of want to make mention? And you know, the floor is open. I mean, there's probably another ten, fifteen guys a, yeah. of intrigue you mentioned before that. You know, you, you said from 6 to 12, there's kind of not a lot of separation. Is there a couple names that maybe are in that range for you that maybe we didn't hit upon tonight that you just kind of want to mention quickly?
0: Sure. Um, one guy is Keyshawn Vaughn. Uh, I've seen him get just a little bit of buzz. Um, digging into his tape this past year was, I, I for me, he just see, he just profiles as just a one-speed and clear-cut uh, player, um, extremely, extremely, uh, boomer bust runner, uh, with very literal, very little lateral agility. Um, this past year, just 21% of his carries created five or more yards, which is like, you know, bottom tier of the last couple of uh, last five years. Um, and only in 84% of his missed tackles were through power speed. So basically he is just a power speed guy uh, Vanderbilt's offensive line was a little bit up and down this past season. Um, definitely had some plays where, where Vaughn was contacted behind the line of scrimmage. He was right behind acres. I think about a quarter of his carries, he was contacted behind the line of scrimmage, but, um, I've got Evans and McFarland and Moss significantly higher in my ranks, uh, than Vaughn right now. Um, I want to get you guys get your guys thoughts on Eno Benjamin actually. He's a guy that I'm I'm kind of struggling to place and I think you could put him as high as like 7 or 8 in this class, but I think you could also make an argument that he's like, you know, clearly behind McFarlane and Evans.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'll jump in first. Eno Benjamin is such a unique player because When I watched him last year before this season, thinking he might come out last draft class, I thought I saw like some Kareem Hunt in him in his overall game, his running style, his ability to absorb contact, deliver contact. You know, and and when before the season started, he was in like, the 210, 215 range. Then he shows up at the senior bowl and he's like 194 pounds or something, which is not really the, the, the profile that, that I thought, you know, and then he got, he got back up his weight a little bit, you know, before the combine. So I think he's really an intriguing guy my feel is that the nfl is not that high on him and now we're we're starting to see that a little bit more and now we kind of get a better feel of why maybe he didn't come out last draft when people thought maybe he would come out i think he's a again i think he's probably a day three guy i think he's probably pigeonholed as as part of a committee a lesser part of a committee i think he could do everything pretty Okay to good, but I don't think he has that calling card that really makes him stand out. Like to me, he would have been perfect when we had the conversation last year, Graham, that there was a lot of guys that were, were okay, were good, maybe, you know, average, above average, but, but they didn't have those traits that really stood out. I think that's where kind of, you know, Benjamin falls. And I think in this draft class, some people might have him as high as six or seven, and other people could have him in that like 10 to 12 range. And a lot of people probably have him somewhere. In between there, he's a pretty good inside runner. He can kick to the outside from time to time. He's a decent pass catcher. He showed growth and improvement in that over the years. But I don't think there's anything that sticks out about him that says he would need things to break right. I think to become like you know a lead rusher for a team, I think at the next level. Matt, any any different thoughts than 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 what I shared?
2: Yeah, no, I, I would just add to it and say that my my feelings are very similar. It's he's a functional runner. And by functional, I mean, he'll be able to take any ecosystem you stick him in, whether it's, you know, uh, an inside zone scheme, an outside zone scheme, a gap scheme, and he'll, he'll be able to make your offense stay on time. But that doesn't necessarily mean that that's the guy you want to ride to the playoffs. So I think when you look at him, he's a great depth back. I think he has the potential to be part of a committee and get regular work because it depends on what committee he falls into. But I think that the biggest thing that stood out to me on film was, you know, I think his, I think his overall uh, vision was something that stood out to me as a concern. Um, that's not to say that he didn't understand what he was seeing. I just think that when it came to organizing solutions for interior runs or tight spaces, he didn't really have a variety of solutions. And I, and I really highlight tight spaces. Tight spaces was something that he really struggled in, in my opinion. Give him room. Give him grass. I think he was definitely more comfortable. Stick him in between the tackles. I think we're looking at a player who didn't know if he wanted to be a player who fought through contact, a player who could mitigate contact, or a player who kind of rode contact and used a spin move. He, he didn't really have comfort. In the movement solutions I thought he was doing on interior run. So for that reason, I think that he was definitely, like I said, functional, but I don't necessarily see a player as Paul kind of put it, a player whose identity is really well thought out quite yet.
0: Yeah, I'm with you on that. And and someone who does manipulate space extremely well, especially in tight spaces, is Anthony McFarland. I know he had a couple like CJ2K style huge runs this past year where he rips off those huge gains. But McFarland is somebody who really understands how to manipulate space and get inside. Um, I, I think if anybody outside of the top five, the guy I'm most excited for, I think, is McFarland. Um,
2: mm-hmm. yeah. I
0: just, for his ability to run inside, his ability to, to pass protect, he's not necessarily someone who's a, a great pass protector, but he's certain, certainly willing. Um, I think he probably has the highest upside of, out of all of these guys, but, uh, someone we haven't mentioned before we go, I, I, I got to bring up Antonio Gibson. Uh, I don't know what position he's going to play in the NFL, but man, you give that guy some space, you get, you put the ball in his hands in space. He is a freaking rocket. Um, I did not have... Nearly enough carries that I wish I had to, to to chart him. Obviously, I think he only carried the ball like 40 times this past year, but uh, I really like Antonio Gibson as a sleeper in this class, and I think he has way more upside than somebody like A.J.
1: Dillon. Yeah, I mean, I well, like, let me, oh, go Oh, go, Matt, go.
2: No, 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 no. I, I was just going to throw into one thing that I think you guys are kind of swirling around, so I'll, I'll just kind of leave it out there for the last thing for you guys to discuss, but I, I think we have to start thinking about – You know, We talk about the modern game. We talk about what the modern offenses look at. I I want a player who I draft that can be on the field with me during a two-minute drill. That's what I want, and I want a player, and what that means to me is a player who's got versatility, and by versatility, what we're talking is the ability for a player to solve a multitude of problems in a variety of ways. I want that dexterity from that player, so I want that player to be able to line up in shotgun, behind me, dot the I in the pistol or dot the I in an I formation, or just play in the gun and play to my left and right, or flex out and be in the slot if I need him to. That's the flexibility I need in two minutes as a play caller to be able to do what I need to do to manipulate defenses and get that home run throw. So I want a player like that. So Antonio Gibson, to me, is I think what the modern NFL game is really starting to use. And I don't think they know how to use him yet. I'll say that. I don't think they know what to do yet. And that's not saying they're not smart. It just means how do you integrate everything together? Am I really going to try this? I say to you guys, all the NFL people out there, try it. Go crazy. Have fun. No,
0: I'm with you. It's much easier to slam A.J. Dillon up the middle 15 times than to figure out how to use Antonio Gibson. Um, I mean, all of like... I think pretty much all of Gibson's carries that I saw this past year were out of power. I mean, they would just they would just move their offensive linemen. Gibson would weigh behind them, then burst behind them and rip off a big game. Uh, I'm I'm really interested to see where he goes because I mean he's 6'2 and, and like over 220 pounds. I mean he's just a total freak show. Uh, I think he could be pretty fun for fantasy if he goes with the right team, but it would take it would take the right coach and the right scheme for, for Gibson to be useful for our purposes.
1: Yeah, and that was what I was going to talk about. I really hope he doesn't get pigeonholed into being one thing, a running back, a wide receiver only, like in a perfect world, I think, you know, I almost consider him more in the receiver who could do more, who could do more than a running back who can do receiver things. You know, if you consider him just a running back, I think you can make the case he could be sixth or seventh because of that versatility after the top five guys. As much as I like McFarland, I think you can make the case Gibson even brings more versatility and uniqueness to an offense. As Matt was saying, you, you put him in the two minute drill, There could be times that he lines up in the slot. You can line him up. You know. You can run jet sweeps with him. You can run end of rounds. You can do screen passes, slants. You can line up him in the backfield. If all of a sudden in the middle of a two-minute drill, it's it's third and one, and you want to do a regular running play, he's got that capability. He needs to go with a – listen, Debo Samuel ended up in the perfect spot last year with an offensive mind in Kyle Shanahan that knew how to maximize his skill set as Debo Samuel got more comfortable at the NFL game. I think Debo still got – stuff to do in terms of development and route running and stuff like that. And Antonio Gibson, same way. But if he gets with a team that knows how to utilize him in a variety of ways, it's going to be hard for defenses to prepare for it because he's not going to be a focal point of an offense. So it's not like a defense is going to be able to give him a lot of attention when he's on the field. And then what are they going to do with him? You know, all the different motion and stuff that they can do with him really opens up the door. And he's not a guy who needs a lot of touches to be impactful in terms of fantasy football. So it's going to be really fascinating to see, I hope, a creative team or a creative mind. But as Matt was saying, I don't know if there's a lot of those teams yet in the NFL. There's still a lot of an old the old guard still in the NFL. We're starting to break down those barriers for sure. But let's hope he ends up in the right situation and the right scheme because then he could be a lot of fun for sure. Guys, that was an absolute blast. Graham, thank you so much for joining us. I think we ended up talking about twelve or thirteen guys tonight. Uh really deep stuff, talking about, you know, their yards created and how they win on the football field, some traits, you know, some possible, you know, draft capital in terms of impacting, you know, their value in terms of fantasy football and dynasty rookie drafts. Uh please, I'm sure most of our audience is following you, but please Uh, you know, let the audience know where to follow you. And again, just thank you so much for coming on the show. We greatly appreciate it.
0: Yeah. First of all, thanks for having me. This was a uh, much needed distraction and the craziness going on. Uh, it's great just to zone out for 45 minutes, but yeah, you can follow me on the Twitters at Graham Barfield, uh, next week. It's the big week. Yards Graded will be coming out. Uh, I'll be publishing all this, this work. Uh, I have a lot of writing ahead of me. I'm not really excited for, uh, but I have a lot of time on my end. So that's, that's fun too. Uh, but yeah, Yard's Credit will be out next week and uh, we'll have some, some fun articles, then be breaking down all the, all the running backs once they get drafted uh, in a couple of weeks.
1: Guys, make sure you're following Graham. Great stuff. Looking forward to checking out all those articles on the yards created as we dig closer and closer here to uh, NFL Draft Weekend. Matt, any final parting shots? No, I mean, this was just a fantastic episode, Graham. Thank you so much for really joining us because
2: what really lights me up inside is when you hear analysts come on and, and they share that same passion for the game and also that passion for just... Understanding how players are their own unique snowflake, you know, and not every player is going to be the same. It's what makes them different that makes them unique and what makes them potential stars. And I just love hearing that type of analysis all the time. I love your work and I'm just genuinely excited to see it come out. So I can't wait. I'm on bated breath waiting for those links to come out so we can take a look. Thank you so much for this evening. Appreciate
0: it, man. Thank you.
1: So, guys. Again, if you're enjoying the work that Matt and I have been putting out on Twitter, the podcast, please get over to the website, ssfootball.com is the quickest and easiest way to get there. Click on the premium content tab. And remember, for nine ninety nine, you get access to all four of our premium notebooks. You get the scouting notebook, uh, which has about 90 to 100 player profiles, strengths, functional areas, developmental areas, NFL draft projection, role at the next level, how they win uh, for this class, and there's also about 25 to 30 guys that did not declared that full profiles are in there as well. You get the rankings notebook, which has all our rankings uh, for draft eligible. It'll have our dynasty rookie rankings post-draft. It has our tiers. It has our Debbie rankings. And then still two more notebooks to come. I know Matt's working feverishly on the freshman notebook. Uh, Talk about the top incoming freshmen. Expect that sometime uh, towards late April. And then I'm working on the draft projections notebook, which has tabs for every position, offense and defense, notes on almost 400 players, giving you a quick snapshot of who they are and everything I'm hearing and trying to project how it will go, uh, listening, reading, anything to try to figure out the order in which it will go, not my rankings, but how I expect it to go on draft weekend. A tab for my guess at the first round, the first three rounds, and then my guess at every pick that will be taken in the NFL draft. Look for that probably about a week before the NFL draft as well. So on behalf of our special guest, Graham, on behalf of Matt and our special and our sound and tech engineer, David Nakano, thank you for joining us. And we look forward next time to kicking you from Saturday to Sunday.